0: Hey, everybody, this is Freddie Cohen of ESPN Radio. When I'm not talking about breaking news or breaking news on ESPN Radio, I'm always a fan and listening to the Detroit Sports Podcast, and so should you.
1: All I want to know if you got your popcorn ready, do you got your popcorn ready? DetroitSportsPodcast.com presents to you the one-on-one podcast with the Doc, John Macaroon. Kind enough to take me up on my offer. Longtime radio host, current program director, sports content director at 970 AM ESPN, Greg Henson. Joining me in the studio here in Sterling Heights, Greg Henson. Thank you so much for taking me up on my offer. I'm so looking forward to this chat. I can be honest, I've been a longtime fan, and I grew up listening to WDFN as a 15-year-old back in 1994.
0: Hey, man, I'm just glad somebody still remembers us. I really appreciate it. I, You know, not only did I want to come in and, and talk sports, but I really wanted to see what you're doing in here. This is a fascinating setup, and, and I do a podcast myself. uh, uh, for Michigan football. But when I, when I come in and see guys like you starting your own businesses, making some money doing podcasting, I think that's great. I love it. I think it's, you know, I think people underestimate the value of having sound, the sound, because everyone's like into video or they want to do this, but sound matters. And when you do audio like this, it's really cool to see, because I listen to it in my car. I listen to nothing but
1: podcasts. What kind of podcasts are you into nowadays?
0: Uh, I listen to a lot of sports podcasts from Detroit, keeping me up to date on on some of the teams here. I listen to um, there's a really a really good one that by an ex NPR employee. I listen to called um, what is it called? Oh, it's called Serial. And then there's another one called Startup, and it's about starting up a podcasting company. You should listen to that. It's just just Google uh, uh, Startup Podcast. He went out and he got funding to start this whole company. And it's just really fascinating. So I listen to just about everything, but a lot of sports podcasts, a lot of niche stuff. Like, I want to hear about Michigan football, so I listen to Michigan football podcasts, because you don't just get that in mainstream.
1: And you yourself have started a podcast, the Big House Nation uh, podcast. What made you decide to start that, and uh, how's it been going for you?
0: Well, I think um, the reason I started doing the Big House Nation podcast is because that's really one of my passions. I really enjoy college football. Um, Always have. Always loved college football. I think it's the best game going. You know, and so I figured, well, why not? After all the Harbaugh stuff last year, there was so much excitement about, you know, Michigan football that I saw this new app was launching called Wolverine Sports Radio. And I reached out and I said, hey, you mind if I join up and help out? And uh, they said, sure, we'd love to have you. And um, quickly became one of, the, one of the more downloaded podcasts for, for the app, which, you know, they have them for Alabama and Tennessee and all the big schools on that network have their own podcasts. I'm just on the Wolverine channel. And uh, so, you know, it's just it's what it does is it really just indulges my passion for Michigan football. That's it. So I I do it. uh, I enjoy it. It it goes hand in hand with one of my websites called BigHouseNation.com, which I started just as an outlet to write about Michigan football.
1: Now, talk a little bit about the whole Jim Harbaugh ordeal. Back when Harbaugh was hired, everyone was kind of speculating the national media. Everybody in town was talking about is Harbaugh going to come to Michigan? You and a few select others were right on point. We I followed you on Twitter, at Greg Henson, and you had great information, and it turned out that you were correct. Jim Harbaugh took the job. Just talk about that whole ordeal and kind of the, the kind of grief you took a little bit from outside oh, yeah. sources because they didn't believe that, hey, who is this gentleman from outside Detroit kind of reporting on Jim Harbaugh? Well, it's
0: it's interesting because I was mocked by Channel 4. Channel 4 said a blogger in Pittsburgh says it's a done deal. And I said, well, it kind of is. It goes back to the lat when Brady Hoke was hired. What, what most people didn't believe was that Jim Harbaugh always wanted the Michigan job. Always. He wasn't, he, he didn't hide it. So when they hired Brady Hoke without really even approaching Jim Harbaugh, they never really approached him. That was something that angered those of us who knew. Uh, they approached Les Miles, but Basically told him every reason they met him at the airport. I wrote about all this. They met Les Miles at the airport and sat down Dave Brandon and him and Dave Brandon told him all the reasons he wasn't going to hire him and it was money and this and that. So Brady Hoke had already been hired the summer before Brady Hoke became the head football coach. He was at the golf outing uh, with Greasy and all those guys glad hand and he'd already been told he was the next head coach. So they were that that was highly disappointing knowing that Brady Hope was going to be the coach. So knowing through my sources and people that I've known for a long, long time, I knew Jim still wanted the job. Jim was, was always interested in the job. Now I don't think he would have left the Niners unless they fired him, but it just happened to work out where they let him go. Those those idiots. I mean, they let him walk away and I knew that he was leaving when I used to joke, Hey, lions games over, put on the Niners and hope they lose because that's the next head coach. If, if they fire him." and my sources kept telling me it's Jim. He wants it. He's going to listen. He's going to take it. Meanwhile, all the national press, um, Ian Rappaport, who I'm a friend, I'm friends with Ian, and I tried to talk him back and say, back away because I'm telling you he's coming and you're going to look wrong. And the biggest eye opener for me was how the national guys, God love them. They're all really nice guys that work hard. The amount of disinformation they spread because they don't know. I, I mean, the only people I followed in this town for that, for the Michigan stuff was Sam Webb. Sam wouldn't go out and say it, but I think Sam knew. You know, Sam wanted to protect himself, and I get that. He's got a very lucrative website, and you don't want to do dumb stuff. I just have a stupid blog, and I have sources. So I didn't have to run it through any filter. I just said, okay, here's what my guys are telling me, multiple people who told me that Brady Hoke was getting the job when he got it, which just was sad, and, you know, just giving me other Michigan football info, they told me it was going to happen. And that's kind of and I and I just stuck to it. I said this is what they've told me. They've never changed and they've never lied to me. That's why I stayed with it.
1: And once word came down that he was hired, did you feel a sense of vindication, or did you feel a sense like, hey, I'm I'm respected. I do have sources, and I am an individual that listen. I, I trust my sources, and I put out good information. And I don't.
0: And I and the other thing is is Doc is I don't pretend to have sources at every sport. I mean, I I spent a lot of time in this in this market, and I don't have many tiger sources. I, I don't know that much. Going on behind the scenes, but I know guys who have tiger sources. I'm not a lion expert. I know a few people in the organization. I don't know anybody at the Red Wings, but I do know Michigan. I've been I've been to almost every game since I was you know 13 years old, 14 years old, and then when I got to DFN, I started covering them from '94 on. And over that time, you meet people, you talk to people. Vindication. I didn't. I you know I I, I was not going to spike the football like like a lot of people like to do. I was not going to take a victory lap. My whole deal all along was I gained nothing from this. I could only have lost. Like I'm not making thousands of dollars off my website because I was right. The only thing I could have done was ruined my, my reputation. So I just kept saying all along, look, I have nothing to gain. All I'm doing is answering the telephone. Guys call me. They say, here's what I know. And that's kind of how it worked out. I didn't, I, I, I wasn't digging. People were calling people that I've known for many years are just saying, here's where we're at. This is what's going on. And I'll tell you what's funny after it started i made other sources like high school football coaches that i'd known but n- never really talked to would call me with info it was funny it was really interesting and you know there was a lot of, you get a lot of misinformation and you just blow that off a lot of it was obviously not true but i knew where the truth was coming from the people that i talked to
1: and now, do you think that Twitter, in this age of Twitter, journalists have to be on there almost all the time trying to outbid each other, and that's the reason why they're trying to be first? So they're trying to put out as much information to their followers as possible. I really got into it because I was fascinated. I was like, wow, there's, there's really basically two strong opinions of he's either coming or he's not.
0: Oh, he's not coming? He's staying in the NFL. The thing that, that used to crack me up is that <laughs> all the narratives that were wrong. His wife's not leaving the Bay Area. False, she never said it, never believed it. Harbaugh staying in the NFL, false, he never said it, he never believed it. Jim Harbaugh is not going back to college because that's a step back. False, he never said it, he didn't believe it, and it's his dream job. I mean, I could go on and on and on about everything everybody said that didn't know. And I'm not saying I was the only one, but I knew he wanted that job. He, I mean, if you go back and read what I wrote, the people who told me that stuff were so on. Some of them told me, the first guy told me, look, Harbaugh won't discuss the job till Brandon's gone. That was the first article I wrote in October saying, hey, here's new information. He's out because Harbaugh's not coming without him and, and the president needs to know that. The other, and so the president, you know, he was figuring that out. That's why Brandon was gone. Secondly, when, when, you, when you think about the way the process worked out, the, my source told me all along, Harbaugh and his father want Brady Hoke treated with dignity and respect. You know, and that's not trashing him. It's not backing the bus over him. It's giving him his $3 million or $4 million or whatever it was to leave. Treat him with respect. Honor your commitment. Brady's a good man. And that was literally what Hackett said at the press conference. You know, we wanted to treat Brady with the utmost respect. He's a Michigan man, blah, blah, blah. My source, I I told him, I said, I've never heard anyone lay it out to me. I mean, I had a timeline based on what my source slash second source told me, and it literally happened almost to the day. Only thing I wasn't sure about was when Brandon was getting fired. I knew he was gone in late September. Didn't know when it was going to happen. I thought Thanksgiving, but it ended up being a little later. It was amazing.
1: Yeah, all kudos to you, man. I followed along both narratives, and I just really kind of got into more of the, wow, why are these people putting out these, this wrong information from outside and trying to pass it off and fighting vigorously to saying it's true when it was obviously wrong. Well, Very fascinating.
0: And all I'll say to that, and they're all good guys. I have no problems with what they wrote. They're just not here. They don't know anybody. Like, like there are certain guys who would write stuff and I like them and I follow them and stuff, but I'm like, dude, you've never been to Ann Arbor. How, who do you know? You know, cause the information is coming from ex players, ex coaches, ex administrators. How could they possibly know people who don't even work there anymore? You know, and so they're getting sources. They're getting it from agents, you know, like Harbaugh's one agent was putting out weird information and the problem is that they're not there. Their their, their boots weren't on the ground. And that's why now I have to take it with a grain of salt when an NFL guy tells me something that's not NFL related because they missed badly.
1: Now, I'm fascinated. I started this podcast because I was just interested in how people got into sports, what their passions were as a kid. How did you, as a young lad, get into sports, and what teams did you follow growing up?
0: Uh, I grew up uh, three miles from where we are right now. I grew up at Troy, and uh, in Troy, went to Troy High School. I grew up at 16 Mile of Rochester, and uh, I was a, just a little baseball geek when I was a kid. Played baseball and football all the time. You know, it's the same story, always out in the yard playing, always doing this, always doing that. And, and my career goal, I played high school football at Troy, uh, went to Wayne State, went to Oakland Community College. My stated goal from the time I was about nine was to replace Ernie Harwell, because that's the only sports that was going on was play-by-play. Sports radio didn't exist when we were kids. We couldn't have a, we couldn't ever think we'd have a future doing sports talk then, because all we had was sports rap from six to seven every night on WJR into Tiger Baseball. That's it. So I realized, um, I so I was going to be Ernie Harwell, but I started in rock and roll. I started at ninety four point seven uh, and worked with JJ in the morning crew and those guys. And one day, in names and faces in the back of the free, I saw a note that said, um, "There's a new sports station coming to Detroit." The lady running it's name is Lorna Gladstone, who's a close friend of mine to this day. So I went and I dug up her number. I sent her a a fax. I got a call 20 minutes later. I interviewed the next week and I was hired. And I I couldn't believe the fortune because I thought for sure I'm just going to have to be a disc jockey all my life because no one does sports. I, I made the conscious effort to do sports in 94 when DFN came on. And, you know, we went in there. We had no clue what we were doing. Art Regner, a couple other guys. Uh, Stoney, Wojo came later, Jamie was one of the original hires, Jennifer Hammond, all these people. We had so much talent in that building. I mean, Dave Pash. Dave Pash is the Arizona Cardinals radio play-by-play guy, and he's also on ESPN. Uh, Matt Derry was there a little bit later. He came, I hired him probably a year or two in. He's on the air now. Uh, everyone at 97.1 except Valenti was was on there, except Karsh, I guess. Karsh did weekends for us, but we Had all these people there that were so talented and a lot of them going on to do some really good things. And, uh, and that's what, you know, that's how it started. We just, we just started figuring out as we went and we were so young and dumb and none of us had any responsibilities, so we didn't care.
1: What was your, yeah. What was your guys' mission as a new sports station? No one's really doing it. What was your guys' intention? And for you as a host of your own show, what kind of things did you want to accomplish with a radio show talking sports in Detroit, a hotbed where there's so many options and a lot of people with strong opinions?
0: Well, I wanted um the goal was to create I mean obviously it was financial for the company because you know we were, we wanted to build 20 million dollars, you know like they were doing in other other markets. We never got there, but we got close, not not close. We got halfway there. 10 million bucks for a station like, you know, DFN in night. We think we built that 9899. That's a lot of money for a little AM station. But our our stated goal was to break break every story in Detroit. This was pre-Twitter. Now Twitter does it. Um, and to be the place to go for men to talk sports. And we talked strictly about men. And if women came, that's how I met my wife. We went to high school together and she happened to be listening. And she's like, I think I know that guy. And she emailed Stoney. You know? But we went to the same high school, but she used to listen because she liked the Red Wings. So, I mean, we, we had a lot of women listening, but the stated goal was let's activate men for our audience, make a lot of money, and uh, have a ton of fun. And we used to have so much fun in that old building. Um, we had a guy named Don Swindell. He used to do all the parody songs. We'd write them and he'd sing them. And uh, so we did a lot of cool things. Radio's not really like that anymore. It's a lot different now. Um, but the stated goal was just we wanted to be the place for sports in Detroit. And we accomplished that.
1: Yeah. And talk about, you, you know, before we started this, we had a little chat. And you said that at the first um, the first studio at WDFN <laughs> was a, basically you said a dump in a garage.
0: It was a garage behind W4 Country on Jefferson Avenue they had to walk outside and, and next door to get into the building. It was a fire trap. It had one door in one door out. Um, and when the nightclub next door was, was bumping, um, I think that's what the kids are calling it. They would block the door. No one could get in or out. That was scary. You know, what if the place caught on fire? And so we finally had to get out of there, but you know, we had homeless guys peeing on our door and pooping. It was gross. It was really gross. It was really neat for a while when we were younger, but as we got older, we're like, Hey, We've kind of earned an office, haven't we? And then they moved us to Southfield, and, and, and that was that was pretty cool. It was nice.
1: What were some of your early memories of some big hot button topics in Detroit that just generated Wayne
0: to- <laughs> For uh, sure. I mean, there was one day Wayne walked right in the back door, sat down and talked to Stony and Wojo for half an hour. He was over at Dunleavy's having lunch. Someone grabbed him. I think he was a little sauced up, too. It was funny. Um, he came and sat down with Parker and Stone. And I think Parker got into him a little bit. If I recall, I don't, my memory is just not as good as I wish it was. But Wayne Fonts was a real lightning rod in the Lions at at first. We started that station uh, in the middle of the OJ stuff. Um, we started that station um, in the middle of a baseball lockout. I mean, we were like, what the hell are we going to talk about? There's no baseball. It was May, no baseball. So it was it was tough at first, but our our goal was to not always do sports. Guy talk. Talk about what guys are talking about today. And I think that group did it better than anyone back then. So, you know, it was just, how do we make people, enter how do we entertain them? If we can entertain them, then, then they'll be here and the station will grow and it and, and did. And and it was unique at, at that time. And it's one of those things that usually only happen once in your career. Like in the 70s, it was WRIF, JJ and the Morning Crew, the Dread Cards. They owned this market for 10 years. In the 80s, I don't know who it would have been. But in the 90s, it was DFN. Everyone wanted to work there. It was hip. It was really cool. and. We were in the toy department. It was, you know, it was very cool. Now it's much different with, you know, with podcasts and all the other forms of media. It's kind of splintered that audience away. So they do radio differently now than we did even 15 years ago.
1: How so? What do you say is a big difference um, from well, from what you see now in sports radio to what you guys started back in 94 and what it became?
0: Well, they've changed the way we measure it. It used to be you'd get a diary and you'd write down what you listen to. Now you carry a meter the size of a pager and it records it. What the meter did was proved that you don't have much time to catch the audience. You can't meander. Like back in the day, we literally, we could take time to develop something. If we felt like it wasn't working, we could shift it. Now, man, you got to open the mic and you got to be on or they are gone. So people can say they don't like 97.1 or 105.1 now. The problem there is, is it's a victim of their own listening patterns. They're only reacting at 97.1 with what they're doing to the way people listen now. Back in the day, the diary was due on Thursday, so you would take your diary, and you'd sit down on Thursday, and you'd try to remember everything you listened to that week, so your favorite station would win out. Like if, if I was a DFN listener, I'd go, DFN, and I'd write a line through it. Now, you can't lie, because the meter is constantly listening. So if you're in your car, the whole family's metered up, and I'm driving my kids, if they ask to listen to AMP or KISS or something, that gets recorded for all four of us. So it's it's a lot different in the way it's done. In the past, like I said, you just sit down and you'd vote for your station. I love DFN. And then I'd write it down. Now, you can't hide it. And so when you're doing radio, you don't jerk around anymore. You got to get right to it. You got to pound through phone calls. I mean, 97.1 is only doing what they have to do to keep meters.
1: Understood. And now, as you progress, you're now a director of programming, the sports content director at a station in, out of Pittsburgh. Right. So talk a little bit about being a sports director. Your job now is to evaluate talent, to kind of shape and mold talent, and um, to discuss, um, you know, to work with on-air talent at the station, correct?
0: That's what I did here, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hired all of them, except mm-hmm. Stoney. He was there before me. Or he was he was hired by the lady before me. So,
1: but. So, yeah, so being a sports director, your job is to now mold the talent. How easy is it to mold the talent and working with talent nowadays? They're
0: all, they're all different. At DFN, it was easy because no one knew what they were doing. They were willing to listen to us because I had more radio experience having worked over at 94.7. I'd worked under PDs before. So I was the PD. They named me the program director at 26. So I would go in and I had no problem teaching all these guys how to do radio because they were all willing to listen and they were all new to it. Like, now, though, in Pittsburgh, it's a lot different because I have one very experienced. He's like the icon of Pittsburgh. I don't need to tell him to do anything. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing. And then the other guys knew, and he's constantly in my office going, what would you think of this? What would you think of this? They're all different, you know, so they all want to learn. Um, very few talent don't want to learn. But I've had some pretty high-profile guys that really, you know, like, I, I mean, Kirk Gibson was my afternoon guy. What are you going to tell Kirk Gibson? You know, he would take feedback, but but it was just weird telling him what to do. You know, I was like, well, Gibby, you got to do it this way. And he's like, all right. You know, and it was never a big deal, but it was kind of weird, you know, having to tell him and Gary Danielson, you know, what to do because they, they were doing TV at the time. So they figured they knew it all, but radio is a completely different animal. So yeah, you work with a new talent. That's the fun part. DFN, the best part was finding new guys, you know, bringing them in and watching them succeed like Dave Pash, Matt Derry, uh, Mike Bauer, the meat shop. He, he, we hired him completely off the wall. To go on at night against play-by-play and just be weird, and he was, and he was really funny. Um, uh, Brandon Tierney, who's now working at CBS Sports Radio, brought him in. You know how I met him? How'd you meet him? He just on Facebook saying, "Hey, man, uh, you know how are you?" Whatever. Over time, he lost his job in Vegas. I said, "Hey, if you're going back to New York, why don't you pull into Detroit and meet me? I got part time hours, so I would slide him enough money to live. You know, doing part time till I had something full time." And uh, he ended up parlaying that into going to New York and San Francisco, now national. I mean, those guys, most guys want want help. It's like, they're like kids almost. We're like, kids want to know what they're doing right or wrong. And I'm not saying they're immature like kids. I'm saying if you have children, they really do covet structure. And and the, 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 the air talent that you work with, myself included, I liked to hear feedback too. I didn't always take it because I felt like, you know, I, I kind of know what I'm, I know my strengths and weaknesses. A lot of people don't. And so like they would, they covet that, you know, do this, do this, do this, try this. If it doesn't work, we'll try it this way. And I think they all got something out of it over time.
1: Wow. Fascinating. You were a program director here in Detroit, then at uh, Pittsburgh. Um, Dallas.
0: Uh, well, I wasn't a PD in Dallas. I was mm-hmm. on air in Dallas. PD in Philly, PD in Fort Wayne, Indiana, PD in Austin, Texas. I mean, always been a PD except Dallas.
1: Okay, so let's say I'm a 22-year-old young kid, Mm -hmm. maybe going to school out here, uh, Spex Howard is a big training ground here in Detroit, or someone that wants a career in radio. You said you've talked to a lot of people, a lot of on-air hosts about doing sports radio. Mm -hmm. What do you think are maybe two or three keys to being a successful um, individual working in sports talk radio?
0: In 2015, you must have social media savvy. That's very important. Every station wants it. They require it you should be able to embrace digital. And by that, I mean podcasting unique content. That's not like if you're, if you're, I'll give you an example. If I'm Doug Karsh and I have a top rated midday show in Detroit, and I'm also very attached to the university of Michigan, I would love to hear a weekly podcast from him just on Michigan because people are, are specifying and selecting content and they're niching it down. They call it the long tail. Like for example, Britney Spears, if the long tail goes like this, she's up here selling millions of records. Does she still sell records? I don't know. At one time, so she's selling all her records over here. The tail gets smaller and smaller as it goes out, and you can. There's still markets for content out here, like basket weaving and tattoo artists, and stuff. there's always people who want niche content, like I do. I only want to hear about the tigers in Michigan right now. Maybe I'll listen to more Lion stuff if they don't suck in the fall. But that's really what I want to listen to in my car. So I can't get that by turning on sports radio. I can get an overview. You know, I can turn on 97.1. I can turn on 105.1 and hear kind of what's going on. But right now, you know, I'm in total recruiting mode. Like I'm checking my Twitter every 10 minutes to see who's committing because, because I'm interested in it. So if I'm, I would tell them to have a specialty, like Art Regner, a good friend of mine. Art Regner is a great talk show host. But he's also very plugged into the Red Wings, and he does a podcast, and I watch it. It's on YouTube called the Black, and uh, Red and White Authority. That's You have to specialize, too. You can still be a talk show host and talk in general terms on a radio, but it's going more and more to niche stuff. And if you want to be a sports broadcaster, you don't need a radio station anymore. You know this better than anybody. So you niche it down into what you're really passionate about because that's what sustains you when it gets boring. Because i got to be honest with you, the way the Tigers are playing, I have no interest in hearing anything about them right now. I mean, I, to me, it's over, and it's going to be a long ten years because there's nobody coming up. So, to me, I'm passionate now. My passions with Michigan football, and then other things like the the podcast I was telling you about startup business, startups, and stuff. Uh, I would say that those three things. And you have to be entertaining. You have to be flexible. You got to be relatable to people, and you got to be smart. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, they, they just want to talk sports, but there's more. There's so much more to the audio delivery and, and you know our content delivery than just taking phone calls that's that to me is the next thing that will go away you better be able to put on
1: a show understood thank you so much i appreciate you telling me a little bit give me some insight in, into your well over 25 year career in radio you believe it's almost been 26 years now you said you start i believe you started in radio 1989
0: yeah right out of high school I, well 88 as an intern i got my first full time job in october of 88 at CSX, taping phone calls for a Saturday night request show called the outer limits. And I would sit in the other room and I would record them, card them up and take them into the DJ. And it would just be, Hey, it's Joe from Westland. I want to hear golden earrings, radar love and six bucks an hour, twice the minimum wage. And then I thought, man, this is getting paid to do this. And then I got my first job, $15,000 a year. Are you kidding me? Went out and bought a Jeep. (laughs) <laughs> well, I used to drive to Flint to play country music, and drive back to do the morning show, like um, seven to midnight. Go home, sleep for a couple hours. Go work with JJ in the morning crew. Go take my class at OCC. Go home and nap for a couple hours. Drive back to Flint. That was in my that was how the twenty my twenties were spent. Wow, that's amazing. But it was a blast. Are you kidding? It sure beat valeting cars, which I was doing before that. So yeah, that was that was a nutty time. Couldn't do that today though. I can barely work eight hours now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and now you're working um in pittsburgh talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the pittsburgh market love uh, it compared to detroit
0: um you find when you go to different markets that the sports radio audience has been trained differently in pittsburgh the audience appears to really love having guests so the guests concentrate or the, the hosts concentrate on bringing on guests here in detroit we never did guests when we started dfn so people aren't expecting guests they like an insider every now and then But here, it's more caller-driven. In Dallas, it was more just listening because they had wildly entertaining guys on the air, so no one ever called in. They just sat and listened to the guys on the ticket. We tried to emulate that. In Philadelphia, they just want to call and yell and scream at each other. I mean, it's every market's different. Pittsburgh's very laid back, passionate about the Penguins and Steelers. And now the Pirates, because they're 20-year losing droughts over. But they want guests. They do a lot of guests in Pittsburgh.
1: Okay. And now you also do a football show Mondays uh, recapping the Steelers. No, I do the post game. The post game.
0: On the Steeler Radio Network 90 is 58 stations across the, the country, California. I mean, the Steelers, they got stations down by Mexico because oh, wow. because people in Mexico love the Steelers. Did you know that? They're the number 1 team in Mexico. They played an exhibition game in Mexico City. 100,000 people sold it out. It was all Steeler fans. I mean, they have a huge following, Southern California. I mean, the network is all over the place. Uh, And it's on iHeartRadio, too, so you can get it anywhere. But I do with Charlie Batch. Um, He's my partner, the former Lion Steeler quarterback. He's from there, and he's an icon, and they love him. Charlie Batch turned out to be just a wonderful human being. I mean, not that he wasn't when he was here. We just didn't know. But you go to Pittsburgh, his hands are in everything. Every philanthropist project he can get his hands on, he's working with. Uh, do you follow him on Twitter? Yes, I do. Do you notice? He's always tweeting yep. out. I was here tonight with this with this kid group and and his dog, he's got six dogs. <laughs> and um and him and his him and his uh his wife are great. We really I really enjoy working with him. He's got great stories about the old lion days. Share one. I think the one that was funny, one night we were walking back. We do the show from a little um a big bar next to Heinz Field, and we have to walk all the way around the stadium. We were walking, and he was telling me the story about Matt Millen and Marty Mornan getting on that motorcycle and driving away. And he said, all the players just looked at each other and went, is this guy serious? And that that was when it was over. they, that, they were that like, a moment. They looked at both of them and said, what a couple of knobs. And then the next year, six Lions signed with the Steelers and five of them won the Super Bowl. <laughs> 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 the next year. So they took a picture of all of them with their rigs and sent it to all their Lion teammates. <laughs> It was like Clint Crewalt, Charlie Batch. There were five or six of them that the next year left because of Millen, and show and they texted their rings back.
1: Pretty funny, man. We'll get to the Lions later. Yeah, on. I'm not in this bitter podcast. or anything. Yeah, neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's delve into some current topics and mm-hmm. get your insight because you are when you follow you on Twitter at Greg Henson, you got a lot of strong opinions mm-hmm. and you definitely follow what's going around in Detroit. Right, that's for sure. All right, let's start with what happened at Michigan. You know, since Lloyd Carr retired. It's been really quite a seven bit Seven years of bad. Seven years of bad. And I do believe that finally Michigan got the perfect hire. Now, I am a They Sparty. better have the perfect yeah. hire because if he yeah. isn't, who is? That's right. Just talk a little bit about the downfall a little bit and now the rise of the Michigan football program under Jim Harbaugh. Because you're a Sparty. Huh? I am a Sparty. Mm. It's over, it, you know. It, you believe so?
0: It's never going to go back to where it was. They're going to be Wisconsin. They're going to be in the con- contention every year. You know, they, They're not going to probably win it all the time. But I think they'll be nine win team, ten win team, you know, year in, year out now. Unfortunately, Michigan will be an eleven win team.
1: Okay. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. See, well, and I, and to let everyone know, I am kind enough to let a diehard Wolverine into the studio <laughs> and break it down and to give his opinions. But uh, for now we're gonna enjoy the success. We're gonna enjoy play, we're gonna enjoy playing Michigan football over there state. Well, it's interesting
0: because as far as Michigan goes, if they just left Rich Rod alone, they'd be winning by now. But they're it's the same thing that happened at State in the seventies and eighties. No one, no one was on the same page. McPherson was doing this, and the uh, the athletic directors Mason, those guys were doing this, and they could never hire the right football coach. In fighting. Same thing happened when Rich Rod came in. Rich Rod has won everywhere he's been. He was finally getting his players in. He would have won eleven games with that team that won eleven games and went to the Sugar Bowl. Of course he would have. And so they screwed around, screwed around, got rid of him, brought in Dave Brandon. Dave Brandon seemed like this was going to be the right guy. I thought when they hired him, I went, they got the right AD. And then real quick, you could tell he has no clue about what it means to go to Michigan on a Saturday for football. It was all to him about making the almighty dollar. And, and that was obvious from day one. That's why it was more important. And Brady Hoke, you know, Brady Hoke's not a good football coach. I mean, he's a sweet man. He's a great recruiter. He can't coach a lick. And I'm fine with that, but he didn't hire the right assistants. I mean, this this guy who was coaching the offensive line, Everyone else wanted those kids. You got them and you couldn't coach them up. You got to go. And so it's fascinating to watch how it's worked out. The thing with Harbaugh is the the first question I usually ask my podcast when I talk about it is is there's no chance he fails, right? I mean, you're a Spartan fan. You don't think he's going to fail, do you? I don't think he's going to fail, no. He's never failed anywhere. But what if he did? Then what? What if Jim Harbaugh doesn't know what he's doing? (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure he does, but he was the only guy that was going to unify everybody. He was the only guy who would be a consensus choice. I think Les could have too, but Lloyd had issues with Les. And that goes way back, and I don't even really know, but it yeah. Lloyd had issues and didn't really want him. So you needed a guy who was gonna cross those lines. That's what Jack Harbaugh was important, because he had to go clear the landmines. Because Lloyd was mad at Jim still over the comments about academics. So he had to clear those landmines. He got that taken care of. Lloyd knew that he needed to get on board or his legacy would be tarnished because it was getting out there that the reason he that we were getting the wrong coach was because Lloyd was kind of behind getting the wrong coach. He endorsed Rodriguez and then turned around and stabbed him in the back. And then he endorsed Hoke, who was a terrible coach. And people were starting to lay some of that blame on Lloyd. He needed to get on the Harbaugh train, and
1: he did. And now, in his first few months, he's gone around, he's very heavy, he's got a strong presence on Twitter. He's all over these camps. Just your early impressions of his first four months. Do you think he's doing too much, or is he doing what he's got to do to sell the Michigan program to get it back where it needs to be and with the players and with the, these, um, these new age recruits?
0: I think he's doing a lot of the right things. I didn't care for the thing to the Ohio State coach, but that was never meant for them to see. The kids showed it to the coach. So whatever. I like the edge. I think Michigan football had turned into a pansy program. I mean, I wouldn't have apologized for driving a stake into the turf at Spartan Stadium. I'd have said, oh, well, you beat us, you win. But, you know, Brady Hoke apologized. They they spent their... I wouldn't have apologized for skywriting Go Blue over Spartan Stadium. I I mean, I like that edge. I think that's the right way to go. D'Antonio's got an edge. Mark D'Antonio is the most bitter man I've ever seen, and he has no reason to be. He's winning. But he has to keep that now, because that's kind of his M.O., but yeah, I, I like what he's doing. I, I think, I don't think he's doing too much. I don't think he'll do this much every year. I just think it was important early on to get out there. I mean, he's got five kids from Florida and three from Alabama. That's unheard of. And this class is now snuck into the top eight. So, you know, he's, and there's some big fish to fall and he's going to get them. They're going to get Bush. They're going to get Rashon Gary. They're going to get, uh, Terrence Davis. There's still some four and five star guys coming that, and they got Bredesen last week. I mean, he's, he's doing well. I, I'm very happy with what he's doing. Sometimes it's a little uncomfortable, but I think his mantra is, I'm very comfortable making people uncomfortable. And I think that's why I like him.
1: And one of the early questions that people are focusing in on here around town is, who of the four or five contending quarterbacks is likely going to be Ruddock. the starter under, in the fall?
0: I think it's Ruddick. Ruddick. I don't know how to pronounce mm-hmm. his name. That's him. He,
1: He's just the one from uh, Iowa, Iowa. The, fifth the year. Iowa yep. kid, yep. I got to be
0: honest. I don't know that Shane Morris will ever play, barring injury. He just hasn't seized that job. He should be way out in front of everybody else after three years, and he's not. But I think Rudoc's the guy because he's efficient and he doesn't turn the ball over. If Michigan doesn't turn the ball over every other down like like Gardner and, and Denard did, they win a lot more football games. I mean, this defense is good, and the running backs are good. The offensive line showed improvement. The big question to me is who's going to catch the ball and who's going to take the snaps, and I think it's I think Rudak's that guy. So I I, I do think they win three or four more games just not by not sucking. You know, don't turn it over all the time. They turn the ball over all the time. That won't happen with Harbaugh and and Rudick. There's no prima donna system like there used to be. Brady Hoke wouldn't bench guys.
1: Harbaugh will. You got it, Greg Henson, Kind enough to join us on the one-on-one podcast with the Doc. He came wearing a Longhorn shirt, but I think I think that he will. Uh...
0: I ran the network when I was in Austin, so oh, really? they gave me a bunch of them, and you know they're my summer shirts.
1: Uh, makes makes me way more comfortable because if you would have came in sporting, I was thinking maybe he's going to wear blue and yellow. I don't or, own the Black M.
0: I don't own a shirt for Michigan. What? I, I don't buy gear. I I have a tiger hat that I wore only because we got it at a game and I was burning my head. I got a tiger hat, but I've never been one to buy gear. My mom gave me a Michigan pullover once that I I wear in the wintertime. But I mean, I I have a Colorado buffalo shell. I got a tiger shell that I got from my wife when she was pregnant 10 years, 12 years ago at a baseball game. We bought it for her to wear that day, knowing I'm fat enough to wear it after that. So we had, I still have that, but I don't really, I don't have any Michigan gear. Never have. Hmm, That's interesting. I mean, I might have a t-shirt. I have a Michigan shell, but I don't wear it anymore. I used to have one. It was given to me for Christmas by my mom. And I think I have one T-shirt somewhere, but it might be too small. I don't know. I can grow out of them.
1: Okay, so, <laughs> uh, so when the Michigan schedule came out, what kind of uh, range you give them? Seven to nine wins? I think eight wins.
0: They get the ninth if they upset Michigan State or Ohio State. I okay. think
1: because last year they should have won eight.
0: I don't think Harbaugh loses to Maryland, Rutgers, and Minnesota. So they win if they take care of business with the games they're supposed to pull an upset. Nine wins. If they don't, it's eight. You know, and I do think one of you guys is losing at the big house. Either you or Ohio State, Michigan State or Ohio State. I think he. I think he needs to. But remember, he kicked USC's ass his first year at Stanford with a bad football team. That was the infamous, what's your problem? Remember Pete Carroll (laughs) came over to him and said, what's your problem? Because he went for two, up 55 to 21. (laughs) (laughs) Pete Carroll walks over and goes, what's your problem? Harbaugh goes, I don't know. What's yours?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think Michigan got the right guy to renew the rivalry, and it'll make it fascinating now in the fall. Should be fun again. Yep, should be fun again versus Ohio State versus Michigan State. We're all looking forward to that. Absolutely. All right, around town, what sports do you follow the most? What are you most passionate about? Uh, What sport do you follow the most uh, in Detroit?
0: I'm really into the Red Wings right now because I love the youth movement, and I think they're closer than a lot of people think. I I mean, they took the Eastern Conference champion to seven games, and they should have beat them. They screwed up in game five by not putting them away. Remember the two goals in five minutes. I'm really passionate about the Red Wings right now because uh, cause I like the young players and I can't wait to see what's coming. There's more down in Grand Rapids. You know, the Tigers are one are, are my favorite team, but I'm just so pissed that the window's closing and they're not going to get a World Series. JV's never going to get a ring. Cabrera's got one with Florida, but he's not getting one here. Greatest player I'll ever see play. And I think they screwed it up. They traded Fister for nothing. That pisses me off. Scherzer struck out 16 guys the other night. That pisses me off. And you have... Simon, who he's going to win, he's got eight wins, but he's not good. And, uh, and is Green? In, did they send him down? Yeah, Green said I got yeah, sent down. They yeah. sent him to Toledo. You know, and, and everyone's trying to justify him as fixing the Fister deal. Are you out of your mind? Fister's killing it, and and we're stuck with Green.
1: Uh, should David Dombrowski's uh, chair be a little bit warmer?
0: It absolutely should.
1: High payroll, not and no no World Series.
0: Hired a dumb manager. When they got Ausmus, I thought good young guy. Sabermetrics. He's going to do the right things. He's Leland without the cigarettes. I mean, it, it's, he's terrible. We were at a restaurant last night and I was complaining to my wife about Osmus. bartender goes, you talking about Osmus? It's terrible. <laughs> and it, it, I mean, I think people are, are annoyed. The tigers should have won a world series in this group and didn't, and it's going to be a long time. There's nothing coming. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, because- they stripped that cl- the farm system bare.
1: So looking at it, you know, do you think the organization... Most people think that David Price and Cespedes will see... Yeah, they'll be gone. gone. But so then knowing that, should a, should a bright GM move them along maybe early? Maybe.
0: But who's going to give you anything for... The only teams that can pay Price are the Yankees, maybe the Dodgers, maybe the Cubs. So why would you why would you rent him? I, I wouldn't. I mean, this is how the Tigers got into the situation they're in. Because they're not going to pay him $30 million. Although you should... A lefty's got to be worth more than a righty, doesn't he? Because there's so few and far between. So I think I, I, it just looks bleak. It looks really bleak. And I, they do have pieces. They might have to be sellers at the deadline just to restock. It's going to be a long decade. Long decade. Well, I mean, guys drafted today are their ETAs five or six years. I mean, eighteen year olds. You're, you know, you're talking six to eight years, maybe ten before the. Unless, I mean, unless they pull off some fabulous trades, but then you got to trade Cabrera. I mean, like, like. Uh, last year when Samarjo was traded, the Cubs made out like bandits when they traded him at the deadline for Oakland to Oakland, and those guys are going to help them. Tigers may have to do that. I, I don't know who's going to take Cabrera if anyone wants Verlander. He had three home runs last night. I mean, it's not good, man. It's just uh, it's disappointing.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people going into the season were saying eighty-one and eighty-one, and uh, I did. People,
0: yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, I thought they'd be lucky to be five hundred because the pitching staff is not any good anymore. There's there's David Price, you know, and that was before Verlander got hurt. So
1: and you wouldn't think that it would take well over three to four years to fix one specific aspect of your team. That bullpen, I don't think. Never addressed. A, never addressed. Why not?
0: Well, and they tried with Rondone; he got hurt. You know, but but you know, they tried with Soria, he sucked last year. They they you know, they, they tried with Nathan, he's a joke, or was. They made mistakes. They traded the wrong people. And you know, you can say what you want. Don't you think Prince Fielder looked pretty good behind Cabrera right now?
1: yeah to rub it in the players that have left have had quite some have had success not the players that in the farm system but yeah the ones they brought in and i don't
0: hate kinsler i think he's fine but man when you walk cabrera as much as they do because victor's hurt i mean that's just a crime it's a crime that they don't have to pitch to him frustrating speaking go wings
1: speaking of frustrating we'll hit on the wings in just a minute but perfect segue Part of my love for DFN was when the Lions had their struggles, Art Regner would come what? on and just unleash. Sit-in. and sit-in. Uh, yeah, the sit-in with Art Regner was the literally must-listen to radio, especially for a teenager, being uh, rebellious a little bit. He would come on the air mm-hmm. and just lay out all the vitriol. You he should have personally. seen it
0: in the studio before the game ended. What was him, him and I throwing stuff at each other, we were just so mad. Like, I would come down. I would watch the first half of the game at home when it was on the road, and I'd come in. I remember the game. It was the loss to Tampa. And I walk in, and Art would be pacing. He's pacing back and forth in front of the TV, making gesticulating, like doing this but not saying a word. He'd be walking and pacing. He'd be like, Art's a little ADD. (laughs) And he would walk. He's just working himself up into a lather. He's livid. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, and and I was still cared at the time. I still thought football was that they were going to win someday. And, and I'm like, and I'm he's working me up into a frenzy. So we'd go on the air and we just hit the air and I just, I'd say something and he'd look at me and his face would get red and he'd just start going. And I'd just sit back and let him go because he was already worked into a lather. I mean, Art Regner, we're self-hating Lion fans. We love him as much as we hate him and that we started that show and it was like nothing anyone had ever heard. It was just two guys who had had enough.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I I, I remember specifically, it was either 99 or 2000, the playoff loss versus Washington. Mm -hmm. I mean, he literally came out with something like, they let their pants down and they let it spew. And they let and it, it spew and, all over the field. All over the field. And I remember that specifically. Yep. And uh I believe I taped it, but I lost it now. I'm I sure I have it somewhere. <laughs> my wife
0: wants me to throw all the tapes away, but I have no, them. Yeah. Well, that's what I tell her. I said, "You would be surprised. someday I'm going to put them in my computer and upload them, and people's gonna, people are going to oh. love it." She's like, "Yeah, no one cares."
1: <laughs> no, no, it had an impact. It had an impact. Let me tell you, I'm sitting here
0: because of those days. I have, I have them. That's the cool thing. I just, I just haven't gotten around to it, but. The,
1: the, okay, I'm gonna to have to nag you because you know I follow you on Twitter. So yes. I'm gonna to have to nag you. Get those tapes out. We got to get them uploaded. I know that I know. 99 2000 playoff loss, man. We all knew. Okay, the Lions laid another dot in the playoffs. Go to Reg.
0: Go to sit push, in. You push, know he's gonna be going nuts. Push that button. And it we did great. that. It was
1: awesome. Well, now we got Jim Caldwell in. He's kind of turned the tide a little bit. He's kind of You're "quote unquote" really change the culture. We're going to be yeah, disappointed. Change the culture.
0: We have an eighty-nine-year-old female owner who sounds like a fifteen-year-old girl when talking about the franchise. Did you hear the clips last week? I did. She's like, "It's just wonderful," and I'm like, "Lady, I don't want to hear you say it's wonderful. Either sell it or give it to your son." for what 50 years she never did anything with the organization now she's negotiating Indomican Sue's contract <laughs> right what what are you supposed to think right she's 90 years old and last week she's like oh i told Indomican i really love you Indomican and then he left <laughs> she said that that's what she said it was like cute to her right and i'm like you let the best defensive player in the franchise's history walk away over 10 million dollars I mean, it's going to be a bad year because the defense last year. If I, I, there's no way Nada can fill those shoes, he'll be fine. But Endama sue was dominant. That defensive line was dominant. Unless Ziggy Ansah just has a breakout year, which he could. I love him. He's a great player. I just don't. I don't believe Caldwell will do jack.
1: Yeah, and in your time here in Detroit, you've seen a bunch of terrible quarterbacks. Ones that didn't show heart, ones that would run out of bounds in a playoff game. Heisman trophies. <laughs> exactly. Would bounce balls into the playoff, and it would bounce balls to their teammates in practice. Yep. You know? Oh, you
0: should hear the Scott Mitchell stories from Charlie
1: Batch. <laughs> oh, he read. And he comes out and he says, You know, I don't know why I'm so disrespected, but, you know, he just lent himself to be disrespected because of his play on the field yeah, he was and his terrible.
0: attitude. It's terrible. He was a terrible quarterback. And he made a ton of money. He made a ton of money. Yeah, so that's why people hated him.
1: You know, Just
0: he always folded. He was scared. You know that was disappointing. And Stafford, he's fine. He's probably the best quarterback we have ever seen in the Lion uniform. And that's sad. Yeah, because he's not
1: great. Right, and that's what everyone's saying is that okay. Yes, you've now earned the title of being the best Lions quarterback. Can you just now be a a serviceable NFL quarterback? Get us one playoff win. Can you just march us down the field one time and not turn it over or not have any weird call affect the play? That call was awesome though. That was vintage (laughs) Lion. You knew that was coming.
0: You knew it was. You can't tell me you didn't think. That was going to happen.
1: For sure. We I, mean, I sat
0: there and I'm like, something's Typical. going wrong. Something's going wrong. The team's cursed. It, it, it is. I don't know what it is. It's cursed. And and I don't know that we'll ever see anything.
1: And then as a Lions fan, you say, okay, you decide for whatever reason to bring in Matt Millen from the booth to run your team. Okay, fine. It doesn't work. You give him an extension. Unknown, eight un, years. Eight years. Most organizations after He'd three or he He'd have been gone in
0: three years. He made anywhere else. eight years because I think the old man was sleeping. I literally in bed sleeping. I mean, he was 90 years old. He didn't know what was going on, and he's bullheaded. He wouldn't listen to Junior. Junior wanted him out. Junior wanted him, but then he wanted to cut the losses, and he wouldn't listen.
1: And then, okay, so then you're like, okay, fine, you make the mistake, wipe out the whole fix organization, it. fix it, yeah, <laughs> fix it. You don't bring his underling and make him the general manager who doesn't like talking to the media, who is relatively yeah. remote, he just kind of keeps to himself. That's not what we want from the, the general manager and the president of the Lions. We want someone to stand up there, tell us what's going on, let's keep it Let's keep it uh, informative and respectful. But he just, you know, Martin Mayhew seems uncomfortable talking, he doesn't share any information, and, they, and really, right now, you probably know... They keep things under tight wraps over oh, there. The yeah. media can't get nothing.
0: Well, it's funny because who are they to keep anything under wraps? You know Exactly. It's like uh, the, If it were a, a great franchise like New England, I'd say go ahead, lock it down. But here, are you kidding me? To be the worst franchise in the history of the sport and act like you have something to hide? I don't get
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll talk about something that has a little bit more hope uh, going forward, the Red Wings. Um, they've hired Blasio. He's yep. a guy that is a gentleman that came up through the system, and he's coached a lot of these young players. He's won everywhere. He's made moves. Um, He's coached in college, coached in the minor leagues. Everyone that talks about him says, hey, this guy has a strong chance for success.
0: I talked to a former Red Wing yesterday. Good guy. Um, He said, I said, what do you think? Um, Blashley goes, he'll be better than Babcock. I said, what? He said, you know why? Because the players like him. He said, what? And I said, well, why haven't they signed a significant free agent in a decade? And he said, why do you think? No one wants to play for Mike Babcock. He was just he graded on players, and this it's a, you can be a pushy coach, but you can't be an ass. Like Bowman would push you, and some players hated it, but he wasn't an ass. He was just a mind game player. Babcock was just over the top. He he's Harbaugh on steroids, from what I am told, just ridiculous. Players didn't like it. I, I do think they'll have more success under Blashel, okay, especially once the young guys get up. They're not all here
1: yet. Yeah, and, and the, but the Wings, we're used to success. We're used to deep runs in the playoff. But some of the moves made by Holland have come to bite them in the butt. You right. know, letting Hosa go for Franzen, who's now been injury prone. And they
0: didn't amnesty Franzen when they should have. But now they're going to get lucky because I think his career is going to end on injury, which means you get that money back. So I think that'll fix it. But yeah, the Franzen deal. But you know what, though? Look, didn't he come off a huge playoff that year? Didn't he score 17 goals in right. the playoffs? So, I mean, it's easy to look back now and say that. I, you know, I'm not an evaluator of talent. But I would have tried to keep both. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Hosa was here for a million bucks for one year
1: mm-hmm. to win, and they didn't, so he left. Yeah. So in your mindset, who do you think has the higher upside, uh, the Larkin Red or Man- oh. no, um, Mantha, or Larkin, Larkin? Two of the. Uh, I'm worried high- about Mantha now. After those
0: comments, after the, uh, I can't believe Davolano said that. Uh, I was talking to uh, a couple guys who are in the know, and they told me Mantha's in value was inflated when he played in that Quebec league. And broke Sidney Crosby's scoring records. He said, "But the, but when he got down here, it's tougher, and he wasn't as good. But he was also coming off injury. He he'd broken his leg, I believe. So right now, I would say Larkin, from what my guys tell me, I don't see him play much. But I still think Mantha can be good. I think both of them, and Polkanen is going to be sweet when he finally gets up here full time. Yeah, you know, I think he's going to be good too. There's three or four guys down
1: there. And then finally, with the wings, you know, you have to start. Mrazic. I think it's time for yep. Howard to take the bench. Start this. Give expensive this, backup. Expensive backup. Keep him. Keep Howard on the bench. Start Mrazic. Mm-hmm. He's got the it factor. A lot of. I think the team plays well under him, and he's a good guy. And he is even tempered, and he's young.
0: I like him, and he's aggressive. I love a goalie who comes out of the net. I don't want him sitting back there. And he's the type of guy who'll come out and move the puck. And if you can't find a defenseman to move the puck, your goalie better be a little bit better at it.
1: Now, to end, the, to end the podcast, I thank you so much. No for problem. Giving, this giving was us, fun. Giving us your time, sharing your memories of being in radio and giving your strong opinions on local topics. Greatly appreciated. Greg Henson joined us at Greg Henson on Twitter. You can follow him for great, strong sports opinions. Just a couple things around town. Lafayette or American? Both. Both.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, I like Lafayette. Okay. But, but, you know, I'll tell you what my favorite Coney is. Davis and Coney at 9 and Coolidge. I, I don't like the natural... Casings. They got ballpark franks there and better fries. Uh, so try Davison, the Chili's killer.
1: Okay, we'll do. And, and then, <laughs> and then, if you could uh, attend one sporting event in town at one venue, where would you like to go and uh, hang out? Which venue is your favorite around town?
0: I like Ann Arbor because okay. I, I go with my wife. You know, we mm-hmm. go with friends. We have a big tailgate uh, and we enjoy it. And and plus, like if I like, we went to Comerica Park last weekend. That was a ball. We love to do it once a year. But the ballpark is not the easiest park to sit and watch a game in. It's kind of built wrong. Um, and it's expensive. I mean, to get a halfway decent seat, you're paying 70 bucks. And I, I just, I don't do that anymore unless my kids want to go, you know, because I've been there, done that. So I try to pick up cheap tickets in Pittsburgh and take my kids. But um, I like Comerica Park. I want to take my 10-year-old to the Joe before they tear it down because he's a real hockey head freak. I mean, a freak. So I think we're going to try to get him to a hockey game here next fall i want him to see what a dump it is because some of the best old barns are the biggest dumps you know yeah, you got it and i took them to wrigley when they were 10 so i want him to see these things i never got to go to olympia and they tore it down in 79 and I, my dad didn't like sports so i didn't get to go so i want him to see this before they tear it down so i think we got two years left 16 and 17,
1: yeah. or just 16, 15 and 16. Well, you know, it's Detroit, so they'll find some loophole to keep yeah. it like three or four more years. <laughs> exactly. You know, there'll be some uh, some street that's become a historical landmine, and yes. it'll delay the, the opening of the stadium. Like you know? that
0: ugly building <laughs> sitting there blocking it right now. I'm like, really? <laughs> Move the damn loading dock. Let's go. You got <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> now, when I am interview people, I, I always like to ask this as a finishing question. Um, you got four tickets. Mm-hmm. You can go to any sporting event, any venue in the world, and you can take three people Either dead or alive, famous or mm-hmm. family. What sporting event? Where would you go, and uh, who would you take? Jeez, what haven't we done though?
0: I mean, we've been to the Rose Bowl twice. Been to the Super Bowl. I would never go to a Super Bowl unless the Lions were in it. It's a pain in the ass. I mean, it is locked down. I would say, I, I would say, I'd want to go to the Super Bowl if the Lions were in it. I mean, that's really the only thing I haven't seen. I would take my boys with me and Bo Schembechler. Perfect. Sorry. <laughs>
1: my wife's sitting
0: here you could go too but you can stay at the tailgate she doesn't go in she sits and eats (laughs) at the tailgate (laughs) so you can come tailgate with us the four of us would go in i i wish i would i like doing sports is like all new to me again because of my boys you know they like it um my oldest one not so much as the youngest one but to see his passion for stuff is something that really kind of fires you up again because he's exactly like i was when i was a kid i mean when i was a kid my dad had a little business and I used to steal his books that he'd record his income and expenses in and record shots and goals for the Red Wings. (laughs) And he'd be like, where's my bookkeeping book? And I'm like, oh, here. He's like, well, who are these people? And it'd be like Nedemansky and all these old Red Wings that my brother and I would just keep score, which is stupid now. But my my kid does brackets all the time. (laughs) Okay, dad, here's your bracket. Who are you picking? So the reason you take them is because the passion they have for it. That's why I enjoy that.
1: Greg Henson, super kind enough to come in here come to the Sterling Heights studio, share some of his memories, and you can also, from time to time you can hear Greg Henson on WDFN, filling in for Matt Shepard 7 to 10, or uh, 7 to 10 in the morning.
0: I like that hour later start too, that's nice. You got it
1: thank you so much, (laughs) I I appreciate it it. appreciate it. it. Thanks Greg and all I can say is Detroit Sports Podcast scores So the result's quite obvious, and what results are those whatever he hits he destroys.